The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is Pia Baranchini, and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Max Lugavir is a health and science journalist and honestly, one of my favorite follows on Instagram. So I understand completely that conversations around food can be triggering. So please understand that this conversation is just rooted in nothing but good intentions around health. Alzheimer's has unfortunately affected both of our families. And so that's what's really driving this conversation. And it's what's driving Max's work, the hope to educate and prevent this horrible disease and many other diseases that plague um, many people in this country. Max's podcast, The Genius Life, and book, The Genius Kitchen, have a plethora of helpful information and affordable recipes. And I hope that you adore this conversation as much as I did. Ciao. All right, Max, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Anytime, Pia. I'm super, <laughs> I'm super pumped to be here. They owe you an olive oil. Yeah, I love that you guys produce olive oil. That's just like a side, side bonus brownie points <laughs> for me. I love olive oil. Are you friends with Dr. Lekos? Do you have like a rapport with him by any means? Do you know who he is? No, I have no idea who that is. He's a really incredible functional medicine doctor that in Santa Monica that you guys are you speak the same language. Um, and he drinks a tablespoon of the olive oil first thing in the morning. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And he's Greek. So I feel like that's a good cosign to get like a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when, uh, I don't do that. I, but I, I definitely use it like as a sauce whenever I, whenever I can. And uh, I cook with it sometimes. I love it. I go through a lot. Okay. You obviously are, you know, an author and have. Thank God for Instagram because like what an incredible like platform you have with such a plethora of interesting, wonderful, helpful information, especially for me. I eat like bananas and rice now because of you. Like I eat things that I always were told were like bad or going to make me not be able to lose weight. And um, so I'm very thankful for all the information you provide for everybody. But I would love to talk about kind of like what your childhood was like and what led to this career. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good place to start. <laughs> um, at the, at the beginning, mm-hmm. my, the origin story, as it were. Your genesis. Um, well, I grew up in New York city. Um, I grew up in Manhattan to, uh, I was very, very lucky. I grew up to, to wonderful parents who, um, cared a lot about me and my two younger brothers. And we were, my parents did well. They, they, they had a business together. So we grew up with, with resources and, as I mentioned, we were in Manhattan. And my mom and dad uh, strove to do the best by their children um, as two, two people can do, two scrappy, uh, flawed human beings could do. And so despite the fact that their, their relationship was never that great, mm-hmm. they got divorced when I was 18, they were, they were actually wonderful parents. And, um, and my mom was always a very health-conscious person. And, uh, and she kind of instilled that in me. I grew up with an appreciation for what it meant to eat healthy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I remember I was probably in my like, I wasn't yet a teenager and I started eating more salads. 
because I saw my mom <laughs> eating salads, you know, and, uh, and I wanted to be healthy. So mm-hmm. I, I, re- I recognized the value in that. Um, and then when I was about 16 years old, I gravitated to, well, I discovered the gym. Um, mm-hmm. And I was sort of an introverted, shy, computer-obsessed mm-hmm. uh, kid. I had bad hair at the time and uh, braces. I was, per- I was personable. I was, I was social, but I was mm-hmm. like not, um, you know, I was, I was kind of like shy and, and uh, especially with, with regard to women and um, gr- <laughs> girls at the time. And so I gravitated to, uh, to the gym. I discovered the gym and I, um, and I also stumbled into a supplement store by my high school in New York City. I went to high school in Chelsea and there was a mom and pop supplement store. And I stumbled in there one day and I remember seeing all the potions and powders on the wall of the, of the supplement store and being mind blown, like mystified by those, by those potions, seeing them almost as, as um, a means to help lift me out of the, the insecurity that I was feeling at the time that many people feel as, as teenagers. And so I started, I got really into fitness and I became really interested in the, uh, in the science underlying fitness and nutrition um, at that point. And that's what led to me actually starting college as a pre-med student. But then halfway through college, I realized that I was also creative and I enjoyed storytelling and my academic career. I never really got great grades Same. because my, my brain is sort of like a light switch in the sense that I got A's in the classes that I was interested in, but Same. then I, yeah, <laughs> I got D's in the classes that everybody took to get the easy A's in, but because I wasn't interested, I got D's in those classes. Have you seen Rushmore? A, a long time ago. Yeah. I remember yeah, like, it's like, I call it like Max Fisher syndrome. It's like all the other boring classes don't matter, but like what you're interested in and you excel in. I love that. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to use that. That's what I had. That's, That's what how I am hundred percent. So I ended up pivoting out of that med school track and going into a double major in film and psychology. And that was actually for the best because it led to me getting this dream job out of college where I was a journalist on TV in the United States Mm -hmm. um, for a TV network called Current TV. I was in 100 million homes and I got to do that for six years and that was amazing. I was like underpaid, but learning a ton and and living in Hollywood and it it was incredible. About six years in, so I was, I'm now in approximately my late 20s it was at that point in my personal life that my mom, who uh, I've always been incredibly close with, as I mentioned, um, mm-hmm. I came from a very small family. I'm the oldest child in a family of, of three boys. So, um, you know, the oldest child generally has like a, a special relationship with the mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was then that she started to display uh, really strange symptoms. Um, she, she began to complain of brain fog, uh, memory dysfunction. She started to have trouble... Um, uh, articulating herself when she would have a thought, she would quickly lose her, her train of thought when, when articulating um, an idea or, or asking a question. She also, there was a change in the way that she walked. Now, I had no prior family history of any kind of neurodegenerative mm-hmm. disease, so that this could have been some kind of neurodegenerative um, condition bubbling up to the surface was not even, I mean, that wasn't even on my radar. Of course. So I started going to, with my mom to doctor's appointments and we really, I mean, finding answers was difficult. I mean, one doctor thought my mom, all of her symptoms were, were depression related. So they put my mom on search relief. How long ago was this? This was, well, this was when my mom was 58. And, uh, and she was like one 
year into these symptoms. So this was at the very beginning. She, I mean, yeah, she, she hadn't yet been diagnosed with anything major. I mean, that's Um, horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of, you know, there's this concept of like the hysterical woman. It's, it's, it's no secret that women Mm -hmm. that, well, that, that pharmaceutical psychoactive drugs, antidepressants in particular tend to be overprescribed, but they're, they're, they're particularly overprescribed for that demographic, the the Mm -hmm. over 40 year old female, about one in four women over the age of 40 are on some kind of antidepressant drug. And I'm not shaming anybody who needs those drugs. Those drugs are Of course, never, but they're not, that's not a blanket. It's an easy prescription instead of looking at real symptoms. Yeah. So that's what she was on for, uh, for, for quite some time. And it really, it wasn't until we took a trip to the Cleveland Clinic, which is known for taking on really complex medical cases, that my mom was diagnosed for the first time with a neurodegenerative disease. And she was, at that point, prescribed drugs for both Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. Mm. Because she had the cognitive symptoms, and then she had the movement symptoms. There was a change mm-hmm. in, in her gait, to her balance. She was experiencing rigidity and stiffness, which at the time I thought was a muscular condition, mm-hmm. or a muscular symptoms, you know, some kind of muscular manifestation, but, um, but that's a, that's a movement, you know, signs of Parkinson's, a Parkinson's like syndrome. So at that point I became obsessed. Uh, Mm -hmm. that was like the, to borrow a term from astrophysics, it was like the singularity in my own life, a a point of no return where I became obsessed with, with trying to learn everything I possibly could about how to prevent these, these kinds of conditions. And, uh, and that began about 10 years ago. And unfortunately my mom passed away three years ago due to, uh, pancreatic cancer. Um, so she had a very tragic life and, uh, it was, it was traumatic to say the least seeing just how, how these two conditions ravaged her, um, to the degree that they had, but it's really been the, the, the most powerful motivating force that I've ever experienced to try to learn as much as I can about healthy diet, lifestyle um, factors, and then to disseminate that information to, to, to teach others. When it comes to personal hygiene, who has time to read that long list of ingredients on the back of the bottle? Some ingredients I can't even pronounce, and you know I'm a health buff, which is why I love native personal care products. Every native product is thoughtfully formulated to keep you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. Known for their aluminum-free deodorant, Native wants you to practice safe sweats, which is why they keep their ingredients list bare naked with ingredients you understand like coconut oil, shea butter, and baking soda. Native deodorant checks a lot of boxes like 24-hour odor protection, naturally derived ingredients, a smooth residue-free application, and over 10 cents to choose from. Native's coconut and vanilla scented deodorant has been a fan favorite for years. And they have awesome other scents like lavender or rose, cucumber and mint, or even unscented. Recently, Native has recently Native partnered with Baked by Melissa with a collection of scents inspired by Baked by Melissa's delicious cupcake creations from tie-dye vanilla cupcake to mint cookie cupcake, fresh peach, all those goodies. Now it's time to make the switch from an antiperspirant to Native. By the way, I keep one in my car (laughs) just in case I forget to put it on. Smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. Get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com slash best or use 
promo code BEST at checkout. That's nativedeo.com slash best or use promo code BEST at checkout for 20% off your first order. Parallel is the first and only OBGYN founded women's vitamin brand. They bundle all the daily vitamins a woman needs in one recyclable daily packet with formulations tailored to wherever you are in your hormonal cycle. I've been taking the Mom Multi, you know, obviously since I gave birth, which was what, over nine months ago. It's made to support you throughout the early years of motherhood with added supplements to help manage stress and promote healthy hair, skin, and nails. What's really exciting also is that they just launched a woman's multi that all women of reproductive age can take. It's called the Women's Daily Vitamin Trio. And it is, again, genius, formulated by a team of top OBGYNs, nutritionists, endocrinologists, and naturopathic doctors. Each daily packet conveniently bundles three vitamins, a multivitamin, an omega, and a beauty blend capsule made of biotin and collagen. One daily packet covers all of your nutritional bases, making it easy to ensure you're not overdosing yourself with too many nutrients. You can subscribe for $38 a month for a 30-day supply. For every new subscription of the Women's Daily Vitamin Trio, Parallel donates a percentage of all sales to support women's health advocacy and research. Exclusively for life, everything is the best listeners are being offered 15% off your first three months of Parallel with code BEST15. So head to Parallel.co, that's .co, not .com. If you don't love it, you can cancel anytime and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. How did you, and pardon me if this is too personal, explain to somebody who wasn't very aware, completely aware of what's going on, that they had cancer? Were you able to do that? No, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, She received the diagnosis and we actually decided to, we decided to not, we decided to get more information about it before letting her know okay. that she had the condition. So we did, we withheld that information mm-hmm. to, to protect her because it was, when it was diagnosed, it was already, it had already reached the point of metastasis. So it was okay. already terminal. Mm-hmm. And my mom was put from that point, um, it was Labor Day 2018 on hospice care. But there were just, there were a few minor tests that, could rule out a false positive. And we wanted to get those tests first of course, yeah. before, before telling my mom. And then we told my mom, and I don't know if it was the dementia, but there were some really sad moments. I mean, it, it, I think she certainly um, understood the gravity of, of her situation, but uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was really difficult. Very, very difficult. I'm sure we couldn't even, my mom's mom is, was from Denmark. And she reverted to speaking Danish and then had a weird mixture of the two languages. So when she passed away, the two years before she actually passed away, 
and she was, you couldn't even communicate with her and we had to put her in a home. So I understand that. I, I mean, it's such a, it's such a huge part of a lot of people's lives. And so I always ask like specific questions because people don't realize like the day-to-day logistics of managing somebody in your family who is going through something like that. It's, um, exhausting and normal things are very difficult. And so, I mean, my heart breaks for you and your family that you went through that, but I, you know, God bless you for shifting your career to give information to people to hopefully prevent it. I mean, is it, is it even preventable? Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's a good question. The, the latest research um, suggests that for a significant portion of, of people that will develop uh, Alzheimer's disease, which is the mm-hmm. most common form of dementia, but it's not the only form of dementia, which is really important. I think to, to clarify that Absolutely. my mom had a form of dementia called Lewy body dementia. There's virtually no research on diet and lifestyle um, as it pertains to one's predisposition for that condition. But we have, mm-hmm. Um, non, we have risk factors, um, that are both, uh, we have risk factors that are non-modifiable. This is really where we begin. We have risk factors that are non-modifiable, right? Mm -hmm. So the primary risk factor that somebody is going to have is their age. And then we have genes. You can't change your age. You can't change your genes. You can't change your gender, right? So females are at twice the risk, um, as compared to men. Two thirds of Alzheimer's patients are, are female, unfortunately. Um, but then, uh, but then moving past those, we have what are called modifiable risk factors. And this is where we have agency. So this is where it gets actually really exciting. We know that somebody who is type 2 diabetic has anywhere between a two and four-fold increased risk for developing uh, Alzheimer's disease. So Whoa. Type, yeah. So type 2 diabetes is a condition that is largely mediated by our diets and our lifestyles. Yes. This is in contrast to type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. We don't know why that develops. And it's, it's really characterized by a deficit of uh, a hormone called insulin. Mm-hmm. But in type 2 diabetes, type 2 diabetes is characterized by what's called insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And that's wrought by eating too many simple sugars, too many unhealthy fats, too many calories overall, being sedentary. There are a bunch of different um, lifestyle factors that, that play into one's development of type 2 diabetes. But we know now, we can say with certainty that to protect the brain, run in the opposite direction of type 2 diabetes. Mm. Unfortunately today, about one in two people are either type 2 diabetic or pre-diabetic. Is so, it one in two? Yeah. Shocking, right? And pre-diabetes is often, it's, it's underdiagnosed. Most people don't know that they're that have prediabetes. Don't don't know that they. Have oh, because at what point is that conversation happening? I mean, think about it. Most people only go to the doctor if they don't if something's happening. People don't go to the doctor for to prevent right. something from happening. And then those are like, I mean, you really have to get like a large blood panel, don't you, to see if you're prediabetic? I mean, those are panels that I do, but I have access to you know financial means and doctors who allow me to have that information. Most people don't. Yeah. I mean, you go to a doctor, it's a very simple test. They can look at your fasting insulin, your fasting blood sugar. Okay. You can look at a marker called your hemoglobin A1C. For, so for people listening or watching, yes. listening to this, watching this, uh, these are, you can j- just jot this is these down. what you ask for. Yeah. Fasting insulin, fasting blood sugar. With that, they can um, calculate something called your HOMA IR, which is your... Um, 
homeostatic model assessment for insulin resistance. I believe that's what the acronym stands for. Uh, but that basically is an indicator of your overall insulin sensitivity. So mm. you want to be insulin sensitive. You don't want to be insulin resistant. And what that means is that your cells basically have become uh, resistant, have become numb sent to, the, to the signal sent by the hormone insulin. And whenever you eat any kind of sugar, any kind of glucose yielding carbohydrate, so um, bread, french pasta. fries, bread, pasta, sugar, candy, your blood sugar goes up and then your pancreas secretes a hormone called insulin. And the job of insulin is to get that sugar out of the blood. We need a certain amount of sugar in our blood for good health, but too much becomes toxic. And so insulin's job is to maintain homeostasis, right? So balance. Its, its job is to get that blood sugar out, out of your circulatory system and into your mus muscle cells and into your liver cells. The problem is when our cells become insulin resistant, insulin can no longer effectively do its job. And so that's when blood sugar starts to go up. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, this isn't just your post-meal blood sugar. So after you eat something, it's normal for your blood sugar to go up, but then it comes naturally right back down. What happens with insulin resistance is that your fasting blood sugar, so your overall baseline level of blood sugar, which should be nice and low, actually starts to inch its way up. And that what that does, the reason why that contributes so significantly to the development of Alzheimer's disease and other uh, conditions like cardiovascular disease is that blood sugar literally damages your blood vessels when it's chronically elevated. I wonder how this, this is, so I have PCOS and a common sign of PCOS is insulin resistance, but I don't, I'm not pre-diabetic because I, I, I do my blood panels often. I mean, my, my Dr. Lecco said, I'm, he's like, you're so far away from diabetes. Um, but I am, <coughs> pardon me, I do have insulin resistance from PCOS. And I wonder if that still leads to, like I'm on Ozempic as a biohack, but I don't, and, and I don't eat sugar. I mean, I don't anyway, um, or refined carbohydrates, but I wonder if that, if the PCOS insulin resist, I mean, it must be because it's just insulin resistance. I wonder if it still has the same path towards Alzheimer's. That's um, well, is your, your, your blood sugar sounds like it's being managed by a medication and yes. also by your diet, which it sounds like you've done enough research to know to have a, a certain dietary pattern that, that might help. Also, individually, we respond to carbohydrates differently. So mm -hmm. there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all diet. It is interesting, though, there is some good research on a, on, a, on a specific kind of carbohydrate called inositol. Have you? Yes, inositol is a really great supplement for women with PCOS. Yes, inositol. And it's easy um, to buy on Amazon. Yeah, it's nice. pretty cheap. And it actually is, it tastes good. You can mix it into your coffee. It's a, uh, I, I break open the pills Is that sometimes. something that you just put in your, on like an everyday? Uh, I don't, I don't do it every day. No, I have some just because I wanted to see how it would make me feel. Uh, but how it, does it's, it make you feel? I didn't really notice a difference to be, yeah. to be totally honest. It's found naturally in food. It's found in foods like citrus and cantaloupe. Um, and it is a carbohydrate and it tastes like sugar. So it's, you know, it's, it's, there is enough research on it that I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll try to integrate this, see if I, if I notice any difference. And it's very easy to mix into your coffee because mm -hmm. again, it just tastes like a sweetener. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, beyond, beyond that, the thing is, if you're insulin resistant, what happens is you'll see a, a post meal blood sugar spike and it'll just, it'll go higher and it'll stay elevated longer than for mm -hmm. somebody who's more insulin sensitive. So, 
Um, so that's where a lower carbohydrate diet can be helpful because it just, it reduces what's called the area under the curve of glucose exposure. It's just reducing your overall glycemic burden. Um, and so that could be helpful in terms of management. Yeah. And I wonder what, I just found a company, have you heard of that company Levels? Yeah, they make uh, CGMs. Yes. I'm having her, I'm interviewing Casey, Dr. Casey next week about it. And they're sending me one because I do think that, I think everybody should understand their blood sugar and insulin. And I think it's a huge part of why a lot of people, I mean, for me, as somebody who's really healthy and works out um, for years and has struggled with my weight, you know, for half of my life, but makes incredibly healthy choices and cooks all of my own food for the most part. I mean, you know, I go out and enjoy myself because I believe in balance. But um, I do think that I, it really was learning about my blood sugar that made me realize that I need to adjust things. So it's something that I don't think a lot of people know about. Yeah. I mean, you can't feel really when your blood sugar is no. elevated. Um, it's, it's not something that you can feel like inflammation, which, which brings about warmth and, and pain um, and swelling. Uh, but blood sugar is not something that you can necessarily feel until it is depleted um, and mm. you experience what's called reactive hypoglycemia. And sometimes, uh, especially for people that are prone to anxiety, it can trigger anxiety. It can trigger hunger. Um, irritability. So that's another, I think that is a, uh, a viable argument, a, a reasonable argument to minimize glycemic variability um, by eating foods that are not so sugary, by minimizing the consumption of added sugars uh, and the like. The one thing about CGMs that I think are, so CGMs, for people who, who don't, who are unfamiliar with the technology, it's basically something that you plug into your arm and it in real time measures your, the, the levels of sugar in your blood. And, um, and I think that that is really useful because it provides data. What we have data on, we can better manage and thus improve, right? I actually had an interesting experience when I was wearing a CGM. I went into a sauna and I was fasted. And I guess I knew that I, I, it makes sense why this would happen. And I, and I could have probably anticipated this if I thought about it, but I was really surprised to see that just sitting in a sauna, not having eaten anything, caused my bl blood sugar to be elevated. Um, Weird. Yeah, because what happens is you're experiencing, it's a, it's a stressful, st it's a stress yeah. stimuli, mm -mm. right? So when you stress out your body or when you experience psychological stress, this is the reason why psychological stress is so damaging. So dangerous. It's so dangerous, right? Because it, throughout history, presentation of a, of a stressful stimuli would have been something that we needed to run away from, right? Like it fight or flight. Fight or flight, exactly. And so when we're stressed By out- By the way, this is like an animal coming to kill you. This is not like your boss sending you a shitty email. There you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like a lion lunging towards you. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a stress stimuli. We experience fight or flight. Hormones get released in the body that, that liberates stored fuels so that we have fuel at our disposal to run away, right? Or to fight off the- the, the, the predator or to, um, you know, to, to guard our, our, our fort or whatever it is, our, uh, our, <laughs> our tribe, our hut, um, our hut. <laughs> um, and so two one bedroom of those, hut. our two bedroom hut. Yeah. And so one <laughs> of those fuels is sugar, um, and fat. Fat is also a fuel that gets liberated by, by these hormones, but, um, your liver is basically, it's sort of like a backup battery. Um, we used to have like Mophies. I don't know if, if anybody remembers those, but they were like the backup battery that you would tack onto your, onto your iPhone. That's basically what our liver is. It, it provides this buffer of about hundred grams of stored sugar. And so when we're stressed out, cool, it causes our liver 
our livers to release that sugar into circulation, right? But today we're not stressed out so much due to the the potential of physical danger. We're stressed due to that email that we haven't responded to mm-hmm. or problems with our you know significant others. But so getting back to the sauna, when we sit in a sauna, a sauna is a form of stress, mm-hmm. right? But it's beneficial stress. When we exercise, exercise is also a form of stress, but it's beneficial stress. But our bodies, our brains don't really know the difference, right? And so they still are, we'll, we'll still see an increase in hormones like cortisol, um, like glucagon, which help to liberate these stored sugars. And so that's why sitting in a sauna caused this spike in blood sugar. And so the reason why I think it's getting back to the CGM, I think it's really important to use them, but to also understand what the data is suggesting, right? Because if mm-hmm. you're just sitting in a sauna and, you're see, and you see your blood sugar spike, if, if all we're communicating is to be afraid of blood sugar, then people are going to say, oh, man, well, I guess the sauna is not good for me. Totally. But that's not, that's not the case. So I just think like a little bit of, uh, of know-how is required before like diving into, into the CGM stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, but this is everything, right? Because we hear, we see something or we hear something and we're like, I mean, I remember somebody a couple of years ago telling me that, that bananas were so bad. I should not, I, I was putting half a banana in a smoothie in the morning and I was like, oh, I can't lose weight. And someone was like, well, that half a banana in your smoothie, I mean, that's killing you. Like, what are you going to do? Definitely not. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's like a beautiful fruit and yeah. like <laughs> provides so many things that I need. And, and, and the same thing with, you know, so many other things that, you know, someone's like, oh God, you're going to eat a, what was like a sweet potato? Like, that's crazy. And it's like, no, it's great to have sweet potato at lunch. Like, and I think a lot of things too, which I, I, I ask you this, especially considering that a lot of these things really have a, a harder effect on women. Um, and most studies are not done on women. So I wonder like, how are you as like a man who's doing such incredible research on all of this? Are there any studies that you're making sure that you're seeing, you know, cause like I learned that fasting, like yeah. I was, I did keto and I fasted for years thinking, you know, I'd wake up and have my bulletproof coffee. I wouldn't eat until two. I was doing hit workouts, always fasted. Um, I spent years, you know, doing prolon and all these things thinking I was, it was really good for me to be in autophagy to clean out my cells and everything. And, and then when I started to try to get pregnant, by the way, it was also really hard for me to lose weight. And then when I started to try to get pregnant, it was impossible. It's fucking impossible. And I was like, how is this happening? You know, I ended up talking to a female doctor, Elisa Vitti, who was saying that women especially should only be fasting during certain parts of their cycle and fasting you know, right before you get your period and during your period is put your body in an immense state of stress. Um, So how are you managing kind of this information when it comes to like how the female body operates? No, it's a, it's a really important question. It's, and it's absolutely true that many of these studies involve either men or postmenopausal women Mm -hmm. because women's bodies obviously undergo rapid change depending on what day of the month it is, right? It's called the infradian rhythm, which is actually Mm -hmm. something that Elisa Vitti um, has really helped to popularize. So it's absolutely true. And it really comes down to the fact that women's bodies are are more sensitive to fluctuations in hormones. And and specifically with regard to fasting, fasting sends a signal to the body that, that, that food is scarce. And so when food is scarce... That doesn't bode well for, that's not going to bode well for fertility. Just no. think about it. I mean, it's not, that's not when your body wants to, to procreate, right? 
That's not because that's not the optimal time to bring a, a, a new member of the species into the world when food is scarce. Mm-hmm. And, and also when we're on very low carbohydrate diets, I mean, like a ketogenic diet is a very low carbohydrate diet. Essentially what that diet is, it's a fasting mimetic. A, mm. m- a mimetic is basically like a mimic, mimic. right? So, yeah. So people on very, very low carbohydrate diets can also see an increase in, in stress hormones um, and disruptions to their, to their cycle. Um, so it is a big problem in research that uh, many of these studies, you're absolutely right, are, are done with men. And they usually will start with men because it's like, we're just, we're more basic. <laughs> you know? You are. <laughs> we are. So they, so they, so just by working with dudes or postmenopausal women, they're controlling mm-hmm. for this massive variable, right? Totally. And a lot of the times these preclinical studies, they're underfunded. Um, they don't really have huge uh, sample sizes um, in terms of the in terms of the populations, and so it, it, it's not ideal. It's it's uh, in a perfect world we would have much more what's called heterogeneity in our in the in the population um, populations that are that are utilized in these studies. But uh, but it kind of it's it kind of makes sense as to why why it is that way. The the fasting recommendations that I make for women, if if women choose to fast, by the way, mm-hmm. you don't have to fast. Um, is to just take it, take it slow. Like take it, take it, take it, be more, um, be more, uh, yeah, just t- don't go too extreme with it. Usually, um, I recommend to men that an eight to 10 hour feeding window, um, is, is generally fairly easy to do, but with women starting with like a 10 to 12, um, is going to be great. And, and that's, to contrast the 16 hours a day that your average person is eating. So your average person today is eating from the moment they wake up. We spend eight hours of our day asleep. So a third of our life is spent sleeping. So if you consider the fact that eight hours of every 24 hours is spent sleeping, there's 16 hours remaining in the day. Those 16 hours are are what your average person spends digesting and metabolizing food because they're eating from the moment they wake up and they're snacking until the moment they go to sleep. So any improvement on that is going to be uh, beneficial. I do a minimum 12 hours every day. Yeah. And that doesn't feel like I'm fasting. That's like 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. I mean, that's... That's like 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Yeah, which is very reasonable. So reasonable. And I usually don't eat right when I wake up anyway because I like to do whatever easy workout I can in a fasted state because... I don't really see the purpose in eating and then working out. You know, I mean, it it doesn't even make me feel good, but I'm definitely aware of my cycle. And I think Alisa actually has, she's been on the podcast a few times and I think for women, she has an incredible app that tells you, um, you know, you just sync your cycle and then you know which weeks you should work out more, which weeks you should work out less. And I think that's, I think being aware of that, it's insane that she just popularized this because it's, you know, I've been a woman for 35 years and I learned this two years ago with her. The episode was actually our most listened to episode because I, I, it was the moment I found out that I shouldn't be fasting and I need to be careful about keto. And I, it was when I was trying to figure out why it was hard for me to get pregnant. And I was learning everything from her in real time on the podcast and was, I mean, I sobbed through half of the podcast because I was just like, how am I just learning about this. <laughs> yeah. There, it was there, shocking. There's a lot out there and I think it can get overwhelming for people, especially in the 
Uh, especially, in, I, th- I think social media really has done a lot of damage. I think it's done a lot of good, totally. but it's also done a lot of damage. And in the sense that we let perfect be the enemy of the good, there's a lot of black or white perfectionist thinking mm-hmm. um, promoted out there on uh, on social media um, because negativity and and extreme viewpoints tend to get the most clicks. Mm-hmm. It's that content that gets featured in the algorithm mostly, um, and so it leads to a lot of like really extreme viewpoints, like. Um, either vegan diets, which are all plants, or carnivore diets, which are all meat. Um, these are extreme fad extreme. fringe diets that mm-hmm. uh, that don't that aren't optimal for anybody. Um, honestly, I mean, you can tweak each diet, and 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 certainly anecdotally, um, it's hard to argue with with the um, with people that seem to be thriving on on either of those diets. But you can't really ignore. Uh, evolution. You can't ignore the science. You can't ignore common sense, which I think is a... I love when you post your what you eat in a day breakdowns because it's so normal. Like it's such a normal, great, well-rounded meal. And I think people are really scared of a well-rounded meal, especially people who are trying to get into a different, you know, it's almost like you feel like you have to be like suffering no, to, yeah. to well, make a difference. There's this misconception, I think, a lot of the times that that a lot of the time that carbs equal fat gain, that sugar equals fat gain, um, and that's not true. It's mm-hmm. it really is. Um, I mean, for people who are who are weight conscious, and not everybody needs to be, right? But um, but this is, I think, where a lot of the, these problems occur is that there's this misconception that you have to eat a certain way to lose fat. You have to go keto to lose fat, or you have to avoid all sugar to, to lose fat, which is not the case. It really is. Fat is gained when we eat too many calories mm-hmm. and fat is lost when we consume a calorie deficit. Right. But for, for people that are, um, that are stuck trying to navigate the standard American diet, the standard American food environment, it's really difficult to sustain, to, to sustain a diet that is a calorie deficit diet without making some kind of some degree of modification to the food quality that you're consuming. Yes. And the reason for this is that it's really ultra processed foods, the kinds of foods that line our supermarket aisles, the shelf stable packaged processed foods that drive their own overconsumption. And so that's the biggest problem I think in the, in the standard American diet, it's not the carbs necessarily. It's not the fats necessarily. We do consume, a lot of added sugar and there's no biological requirement for added sugar. So that's Mm -hmm. a very easy place to skim off empty calories. You shouldn't be Mm -hmm. drinking your calories. Um, So that is a big problem. Your average American today consumes 77 grams of added sugar a day. That's, that's 20 teaspoons. Didn't you post a video saying that like, what percentage of Americans have diseases because of like soda? Yeah. What was that? It's mind blowing to me. Yeah, there was a, a a research estimate that was published in the journal Circulation that found that 184,000 deaths worldwide annually are attributable to sugar-sweetened beverages alone. So this is soft drinks. This is coffee drinks with added sugar in it. Some of these some of these coffee drinks at large coffee chains, right, can have up to 60-70 grams of sugar in one in one sitting. I know I noticed it when I started. I noticed it a couple of years because I don't drink. I drink espresso and then I mix it with my, you know, I put collagen in it or whatever. And I drink water and green tea if I want. I don't, I'm not like a drink. I, again, because I just think it's frivolous. I don't, it doesn't also, but it doesn't make me feel good. But when I was working in my office a couple of years ago, one of my, you know, my design assistant would always go get 
us coffees in the afternoon or whatever. And I'd always get a green tea. And those motherfuckers, part of my French, <laughs> they automatically fucking add sugar to a green tea. Oh God, it's so bad. It's so bad. I ha- you have to ask for it unsweetened. I know the, the default is just we're going to. The we're just default gonna is putting sugar in it. Load up your drink with sugar. Yeah. And I, I also was like, you'd think from like a financial standpoint that, they could, that that would be like frivolous spending on their end, but I guess sugar probably costs them nothing. Right. It's so anyway. cheap because we have these subsidies now that um, basically subsidize the manufacture of high fructose corn syrup, mm. um, essentially, which is the primary sugar that you find everywhere in the standard American diet. Yeah. Well, God, I mean, I could, when I stopped breastfeeding the formula that my doctor recommended the first, the second ingredient was high fructose corn syrup. Oh no. And that was, that on the label said number one pedia, you know, pediatric recommended. I mean, I was just, I left there. My husband's from Italy. We left there and he goes, what? Like, he's like, I grew up eating pasta for every meal. And like, I know that this is, there's actually a, a, a company that I, I, I love their products so much that I, so full disclosure, I invested in the company, but, um, but beyond that, I have no, uh, I'm not involved like in it, in, in any, in any capacity other than just being <clears throat> financially, uh, I, I, I wanted to help support them because I really believe in what they're doing. It's called Serenity Kids and they make the highest quality, uh, formula baby food. That oh, I've, that's good to know. That I've ever seen. Yeah. Cause I have a nine month old. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. It's such, they're such great products. They're meat centric and they only use grass fed, grass finished beef, wild salmon, turkey. Serenity kids. Serenity kids. Yeah. If you, if you look at most of the children's food and the the little juice packs and. No, I don't, I don't give her any of that. Yeah. It's like feeding your baby Jamba juice. It's, it's, it's horrible. Oh, I've seen these. I've seen these. Yeah. Cause they have the little bone broth packets. Yeah. Yeah. Bone broth packets for the baby. (laughs) And they have a, they have a, a formula, which they legally have to call toddler formula, but yeah. um, it, it. I give her all the. Um, that's da, da, I know this, but I didn't know the. Those are all the puffs I give Carmela. Yeah, it's an it's an awesome serenity puffs. Awesome company owned by a, a wonderful married couple, um, who I met recently in person for the first time in Austin. So yeah, so that's my. The for anybody. kids stuff is crazy because someone reached out to me the other day and and it was a celebrity. It's a celebrity backed, or maybe it was her idea kid food in a squeeze thing and they wanted to send it to me and I don't I did baby led weaning with her so she never ate purees I taught her um there's a really great one day if you have children there's a really great um company called solid starts and you teach your child from a from you know, five, six months old, you know, you start them with little bits of puree to get the taste in their mouth, but you teach them to pick food up and to chew it themselves. Wow. And, and it's really important. I'm learning that children at a young age learn how to chew to activate their metabolism so they can learn how to digest foods properly because most kids now they give them these little squeeze packs. And so they're not, they're just sucking, they're inhaling these packets and they're not chewing anything. Mm. And these packets had one mango, three apples, <laughs> four peaches. And I was like, how can I compete? How can one strawberry ever compete with that taste? No. And that's her. And I was like, this is, these are the defining moments of her getting hooked on things. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's also chewing helps uh, the face form properly. The bones um, of the face, there's a, a functional uh, medicine 
minded dentist who talks a lot about this, Stephen Lynn, but cool. sucking on the, you know, the, the nipple, it, it, it helps the muscles around the face form. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, and it's, and it provides real food. It's these, these hype food scientists have a term for this is hyper palatable, these hyper palatable foods. No natural food is, can ever compete, right? Never. With, with just how tasty these packaged processed foods are. And by the way, this is not just baby food that we're talking about. This is like adult food yeah, that also this has this characteristic, right? It's everything it's, in a package. It's ice cream, Doritos. It's, pizza, it's lasagna, it's Doritos. It's it's usually food products that combine sugar, fat, salt. salt. Um, it's the Dorito effect. It, it, it takes a food that you wouldn't be prone to overconsuming um, by itself, and it makes that food hyper palatable. You could run a little thought experiment. Think about a baked potato, right? A baked potato, you would not be prone to overconsuming. It's not tasty at all. But once you put the butter with the salt, right, fat and mm-hmm. salt on that mm-hmm. baked potato, sour cream, maybe some bacon, that thing is something that you're gonna plow through, and it's um and that and crave. that. Re- and crave. And that's, that really is the defining characteristic of these ultra processed foods, which Americans now overconsume to the degree of 60% of the calories of your average American's diet comes from these kinds of foods. They're shelf stable, they're highly calorie dense, they're minimally satiating, and they really are at the foundation of the obesity epidemic. Do you guys like drinks? Me too. Drink sound is unsweetened, organic, sparkling waters made with tea and botanicals. It's all certified organic. And like I said, which is very important to me, all completely unsweetened. Drink Sound has insane creative flavors that are more fun and unique than traditional sparkling waters like blueberry with cinnamon and hibiscus tea and grapefruit with lavender and ginger tea. It's perfect throughout the day as there are both caffeine and caffeine-free options. It's BPA-free and uses gorgeous extracts in place of natural flavors. Imagine. Again, it's sparkling water, so it also has the crisp, yummy tingle on your tongue. And we are a big sparkling water house over here. So listen, get your next drink on me, right? Use code PIA20 for 20% off your order when you go to www.drinksound.com slash PIA. That is drinksound, D-R-I-N-K-S-O-U-N-D.com slash PIA. Relationships take work, especially the most important one, which is the one that you can have with yourself. Listen, it's overwhelming to be a human being. And I don't want you to think that you have to do it alone. A lot of us need a friend or someone that we can talk to. But most importantly, a lot of us need, you know, a professional. And that's why I always recommend to everyone, especially my family members, better help. BetterHelp is online therapy that, you know, just wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everybody else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure that you show up for yourself. It's online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You do not even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. The most brilliant part about this is, by the way, you don't have to get in your car. You don't have to drive to anybody. You don't have to reach out to friends or look online for a therapist because BetterHelp will match you with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored 
by BetterHelp, and everything is the best. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Pia. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash Pia. So before we talk about your book, which I obviously really want to talk about, um, I want to know on a personal level, do you have moments where you... I'm like an 80-20 gal. Like I'm married to an Italian guy. He's had to learn the hard way that our food is different. Like the people who make, we make the olive oil with, they also make pasta. It's an ancient grain. Like I could eat that every day and never feel sick. It also, I would not gain any weight. My metabolism is so much better. It, you know, they're not eating nearly. I mean, he's always shocked by how long even bread can stay here. Like, you know, it's not even comparable, but it gets comparable when he moves here and then starts to eat those things and then, you know, gains weight and doesn't feel well. Right. But this is a country that enjoys food and we are married. And so we love eating together. We love the ritual of going out to dinner. He loves getting dessert. So, you know, I, at least one meal a week with him and I'm not, it's not at least one meal a week with him. I'm eating the food that I want. I'm eating French fries. I'm having a couple bites of whatever dessert he ordered. You know, I'll have like a burger. I usually modify, but French, I'll, I'll allow myself to have French fries. Are there moments in your week or your day where you're just like, fuck it, I'm just going to eat this meal? Or are you so, is your pendulum so on the other <laughs> side that that's like, doesn't even, it's not even something you want? No, no, no. I'm definitely a human being and I am prone to, uh, to snacking like anybody else. And if I put myself in a situation where I have access to a hyper palatable food that I, that I enjoy, um, it's very difficult for me to moderate my consumption of that food, whether it's, whether <laughs> you just it's, said that in such a scientific, <laughs> 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 oh, man. it's, it's just reality. Like it's, it's the pint of ice cream where my intent is to have one spoonful and I end up having six. Okay. Right. It's the um, bag of paleo puffs or, or uh, whatever, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, I right? know like what your like bad boy snacks are. Paleo I mean, puffs. Th- those are the, those are some of them, but I don't buy them. I don't buy them because yeah, I Yeah, if you know, don't keep them in your house, then you won't. Yeah. But the thing is, I at least, here's the deal. I have the knowledge that when I do decide consent, right, to open up a bag of whatever that <laughs> chip is or pint of ice cream is, that for the most part, all bets are off. I have my plan and then I have what actually like occurs once I get going, right, with mm-hmm. that food. So for me, it's it's informed consent because I know that those foods, it's not a it's not a moral failure that I'm not able to um yeah. stick to the plan necessarily, right? And and of course sometimes I can, but sometimes I don't. But I know that it's not a moral failure. It's that those foods are designed to be overconsumed, right? Mm. And that willpower is a finite resource, especially when <laughs> I'm stressed out, when I've had a long day, when I'm sitting mm. in front of the TV and I'm distracted while I'm eating, right? Mm-hmm. I know that those factors are all working against me to make me overconsume that food. I don't regret when it's been done because I know that that's what that food really has been designed to do. Um, so I do, I do think there is value to, uh, to occasionally having planned indulgences and to, um, to eat whatever it is that you want uh, on occasion, making it mm-hmm. an, an occasional indulgence. Um, but generally I work pretty hard to curate my food environment so that those foods aren't around, right? When I'm pushing my shopping cart through the supermarket, I know that if it's in my shopping cart, it's, it may as well be in my stomach, right? 
Um, so just some, some tricks that I use. I like to buy um, products that are already portion controlled. To me, mm. it's a lot more difficult to um, open up two bags of something than to finish one entire bag. Totally. Right? Yeah. So if I buy snacks that are portion controlled, for example, there's a snack that I really like. It's very overpriced, so I, I don't recommend people go out and buy it. But I, I enjoy it, and I, and I feel like I'm splurging. It's like they're called Asha Pops. They're like these... Um, what are they? Water lily seeds, puffed water lily seeds that you can find at Whole Foods. It's like $5 for a little tiny bag. And it's like a hundred calories a bag. It's like the most expensive per calorie is probably the most expensive product at Whole Foods. It's more expensive (laughs) than- it's a puff. It's like an air puff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Five bucks for a hundred calories. I mean, it's like, it's absurd. But anyway, it's a small 100 calorie bag and it's portion controlled. And so I like to buy that because I, I, and, and, and to snack on those because A, I love them. Yep. But- because I know that I'm not going to open up two bags. Yeah, right? of course. Especially because that would be ten dollars worth of these. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not made of money. So, um, so yeah, like I uh, portion control, I think is a, is a is a really useful tip. With ice cream, you can instead of buying a pint of ice cream, if you're prone to overconsuming ice cream, buy ice cream like pops or whatever. Yeah, you know? the popsicles or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree. I don't even have. My husband started getting irritated like a year ago that there was never anything for him to eat like when he got home from work. Like he, because I would, because I don't keep snacks here. Um, And so there's a couple things that I always buy, you know, these gluten-free pretzel things that are filled with almond butter. And then there's these little protein cheese puffs that he'll eat. And then I make sure that I always have like prosciutto and mortadella and whatever from the Italian place that he can snack on when he gets home and like a fresh loaf of bread from the farmer's market. But, you know, I love to go out and eat and that's our ritual. But I, and I, I hate to talk like this because I feel like it isolates so many people and, I, and it sounds elitist, but like truly like we just don't keep those kinds of snacks here. Like I grab an apple if I want a snack and I grab a handful of blueberries and like, that's what I feed my baby. Like she has blueberries with me or whatever she eats, what I eat. But I, I really, I, I agree. It's just to have all that shit in your house. You're just going to eat it. You're just going to yeah. eat it if it's here. So to say if it's in your cart, consider it in your stomach, I think is especially for people who want to. And listen, there are times where I'm like, I'm going to have a night where I stay in and I'm going to like smoke some CBD and I'll let myself have a glass of wine and I'm going to have snacks and I'll go to pop some fresh popcorn myself or go to Erewhon and get activated popcorn, you know, whatever. And I'm like, this is my, but I do think that, I think that everybody wants to, doesn't like to be uncomfortable and food is really triggering. And I think there's just, if you, there's not ever going to be a time in your life where you get just to do what you want. Like you don't get to do what you want at work. You don't get to do what you want living in a society. And I don't think that should apply to your body either. You don't just get to do what you want all the time because it's a machine and it needs to be well oiled. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some, some will say that it's, it, it, it means that you have a healthy relationship with food. If you're able to like eat just a little bit of the ice cream and put the rest away. And I don't think that that's necessarily indicative of a healthy relationship with food. I think it's just indicative that that food is not triggering for you. Totally. And, and that you have you have more willpower than others. Mm-hmm. Um, these foods really put your willpower to the test, and it is a finite resource. Um, as I mentioned, and then you throw in all these other stresses, stressors, um, and, it, and it makes it really difficult. So I think it's totally possible to have a healthy relationship with, with food and be able to identify what foods are triggering and what foods are um, not going to serve your body. 
mm-hmm. uh, in the in the best way, and to be able to minimize um, those foods, and to be able to more carefully curate your food environment. So, tell me about the Genius Life. Yeah. So, well, the Genius Life is is the name of my podcast, and the new book is called Genius Kitchen, and um, it really is an extension of all the research and the work that I've that I've done over the past decade. Uh, it's a two in one book. It's um, a cookbook. So we have over a hundred amazing recipes in the book that I'm super, super proud of. In fact, mm-hmm. I made one yesterday. Um, that was so good. It was like a cheesy, it was a, there was no dairy in it, but it was like a, a cheesy, um, broccoli dish with, uh, with eggs on top. Yeah. And it was so delicious. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's loaded with recipes that are highly nutrient dense, highly satiating using, um, low cost, highly accessible foods. Uh, for people. So that's part of the book. And then the other part of the book is a wellness guide and kitchen resource. So it teaches people what to look out for when shopping for ingredients to, to, max- so great. Yeah, to maximize, um, <clears throat> again, satiety, nutrient density, so that it makes your body feel full. Doesn't, you know, so that you don't feel like you're depriving yourself, you're, you're eating yourself um, to a point of satiety, which, which feels so good, which, would, which would, we, we should be allowed to do with our food. Yep. Um, but uh, but it really highlights like what foods are gonna are going to be the best in terms of giving your body what it needs to age more slowly, to be able to defend um, against stressors that are to some degree inevitable that might predispose you to conditions like Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, uh, and the like. I also talk about how to optimize digestion in the book because if you're not digesting your food properly you are being shortchanged. You just did a post about that that was so helpful. I mean, it's re- it's information that I know, but I think everything that you're, you know, it's so helpful. What was it? It was like the first page was like great. It was like great carbohydrates that help with digestion. And then the second page had different like uh, varieties of like probiotics and things and like oh, yeah. sauerkrauts and things. Like that post was so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my passion. Um, I feel like to make things easy and, and achievable for people and to separate fact from fiction. Yes. Um, I didn't come at this with any bias, any sort of preconceived notions about what it meant to eat healthily. Um, my agenda, you know, wasn't obfuscated by what's going to be best for the environment. What's going to be best for, um, you know, animal, animal rights purposes. Like mm-hmm. I, I came at this purely and I, and I care about both of those causes just to be, just to be clear, but I came at this purely from the standpoint of what is going to be the best for the body and the brain. What is going to be, what kinds of foods are going to be the most protective of our brain health over the long term? What are the foods that are going to be the most supportive of optimal mental health in the short term? And so it's, it's with, through that lens that I've um, formed and sort of calibrated my, my dietary recommendations. Um, and all of the recipes in the book center around, uh, uh, a food or, um, or a few foods that I call genius foods and genius foods are, it's sort of a term that I've invented like the, like superfoods, right? Superfoods is not a scientific term. Um, but these are the foods that when I, um, began doing my research would stand out to me over and over and over again in the medical literature as being particularly supportive of optimal brain health and optimal metabolic health. So promoting- Can you name one or two? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think extra virgin olive oil is, is yeah. absolutely <laughs> a, a, a genius food. Um, so, you know, you definitely were prescient uh, there. But I also um, have to say that that's also, you know, I don't think people could- 
olive oil has 100 calories per tablespoon. So I think a lot of people slop olive oil on everything yeah. and think it's a great healthy fat, but it does need to be moderated. <laughs> of course. I say, yeah, of course. <laughs> My rule generally is one to two tablespoons of added fat a day. That's it. I'm not yeah. a big like proponent of just pouring fat on anything. You know, we say don't drink your calories and that applies to sugar-sweetened beverages. It certainly applies to liquid fats yeah. as well. Um but yeah, I mean, so extra virgin olive oil, I think, is, is, a, is a fantastic food. I talk about all the many reasons why that is in the book, but it's a healthy fat. It's rich in, in phytochemicals that have an anti-inflammatory effect. Um, there's a mix of meat-centric dishes in the book as well as plant-based book, uh, plant-based recipes in the book. But in general, I'm a big advocate of the consumption of properly raised animal products and, and whole plants. So I think that, um, you know, we can talk... Uh, all day long about how beneficial avocados are, uh, dark leafy greens, blueberries, and things like that. But I think that we really need to widen out the conversation to include grass-fed beef, um, mm -hmm. eggs. A an egg yolk is literally a cognitive multivitamin is what is how I've been. I had a lot of egg yolks when I was pregnant, and I, you're not supposed to, but I was like, I'm giving my baby brain food. It is. It 100% is brain food. Um, in particular, choline is very important. Uh, DHA fat is very mm -hmm. important to, to grow a brain and whatever the baby needs is going to take from the mother. Um, if, if you're not supplying the, the baby nutritionally with those, with those various factors. So, um, so I support, so yeah, it's a, it's a nice mix. We've got, um, starters, we've got main dishes, uh, all pretty easy to make. Um, I, myself, I learned how to cook on the job and, uh, over the past decade, I've become a, a really great cook. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think I've, I've, you know, I've, I've definitely like my skills have, uh, have, have really elevated. Um, especially al also since I started doing more Instagram content. Um, and so. Isn't it yeah. a wonderful feeling? I think yeah. cooking is such a, it's such a beautiful, positive thing that gives someone such like great self-worth. Like there's nothing better than making a meal for yourself. That's nutritional and delicious and satisfying. Yeah. And it's also a powerful leverage point for, for better health, right? Like, mm -hmm. like even, even beyond macronutrients like carbohydrates and fat and things like that, cooking for yourself, as opposed to getting your food primarily from restaurants, you're saving a ton of calories. You're saving a ton of fat calories in particular restaurants there. I mean, restaurant knows food what they're putting in. in general. Yeah. It's so oily compared to the food that you make in your own home. You're saving a ton of sodium by eating at home. Studies show that people who eat at home more frequently have a healthier BMI. So BMI is a screening tool um, used, to, uh, used to look for uh, obesity. So lower risk for obesity, healthier body fat percentage, um, healthy, healthier cardiometabolic health, all from cooking at home. And culinary literacy, one of the major reasons why I decided to write Genius Kitchen is that culinary literacy is something that we've outsourced, like our health literacy, yes. like our financial literacy. Um, and I think we need to get it back. It's such a, it's such a wonderful way to cooking with friends and loved ones. It's such a wonderful way to bond, to express love. To, that was uh, the impetus for the olive oil was like to have to do dinner parties <laughs> so people could be, by the way, also talk about like positive reinforcement just in your life is like nothing is better than sitting with a group of people and feeling like you're part of a community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And cooking together, it's so much fun. You can delegate tasks. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. I have friends over and I all be I like, know, Hey, it's great. Brian, you chop the onion. I'm working on the, <laughs> the steak over here or whatever. And it's, it's so great. I mean, it's, it's so helpful. 
Um, you know exactly what it is that you're eating, which is something that I really value. I know you like totally. I love um, in restaurants when the menu is like what you see is what you get. Like everything is explained. There's a lot of like yes. gluten free options. The worst thing in a, to me in a restaurant is where you order something and it doesn't say, for example, that there's breadcrumbs on it or there's totally. cheese on it, and then it comes and it's loaded with Other who knows stuff. what, right? Mm-hmm. So I love knowing what I'm getting and what I'm putting into my body. And, um, and, and it, it, it cultivates a sort of mindfulness. I think about food that Definitely. is really important. It's really important to have. I mean, that to me is, is what it, what it truly means to be an, uh, an intuitive eater, right? To, yes. to be able to identify your food, um, and to, uh, and to seek out what you know is going to nourish your body and to avoid, or at least minimize the foods that are not serving your body, um, as well. I started taking athletic greens many years ago, as you all know at this point, uh, because it was just the best baseline to start my day. Um, Listen, a lot of us are taking lots of different vitamins and minerals and probiotics separately, and that's totally fine. But if you want to do one thing that really has all the best things, then you're going to want to try athletic greens. Because one scoop of delicious AG1, which by the way, it does taste good, has 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day perfectly. So, I mean, again, I start my day with just one scoop in water. And what's amazing is it's lifestyle friendly. So it doesn't matter if you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. There's no GMOs. There's no nasty chemicals, no artificial flavoring. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're really investing in your health. It's cheaper than your cold brew habit. So right now, just reclaim that health of yours. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens slash best and the number four. Again, that's Athletic Greens best four to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, my last question, I'll let you go. I'm sure you have lots of habits throughout the day. I'm sure you have like supplements and routines, water consumption, sauna, fat, whatever. What are your like non-negotiable, like I have to, this is like the first thing I do when I wake up or like in the afternoon I have like, what is your like one non-negotiable? Oh man. Um, I'm sure you have a few. (laughs) Yeah. Well, just top of mind. And I also can show you, um, I bought recently, I signed up to, to, uh, get, water delivered to my house. Oh, so same. I, yeah. So I now get in these, you can see my little water dispenser over there. Oh. Yeah. So I now get these huge five gallon, is it five gallons? Or maybe it's more. I think it's a five gallon glass jug of spring water. Mountain Valley? House. Mountain Valley. Every two That's weeks. That's what I get. I pay for it. No financial affiliation, but I think it's worth it for me. It's I, not I that really expensive. No. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, you know, I think it's, it's important to clarify, like, what you get for free, which we get a lot of things being in the, in, in the position yeah. that we're in. We're very lucky versus what, like, I actually pay for. And this is something that I actually pay for. I'm very happy with the purchase. And, um, yeah, and I, I feel really good knowing that the water that I'm drinking uh, hasn't been in plastic, that there's quality reports available um, easily on the website of, of, the, of the water producer, that it's mineral rich, that there's no pharmaceuticals, no fluoride, no weird stuff in it. 
um, because tap water is a veritable soup of compounds. I mean, you don't mm, know what you're I getting in your, in your tap water. And I was filtering it for a while. I was using like an activated carbon filter, which is great. Um, it's definitely like a, it's better than nothing. But I didn't um, like how it tasted. Yeah. I like the taste of Mountain Valley. I can taste the minerals. Yeah, I can taste the minerals. I, I actually have delicious. a, um, I have a water boiler, like a tea, like a, it boils water. And um, it's amazing that like I, I wash it like every two weeks or something like that. But um, but in between washes, it becomes so cloudy because of the the mineral residue. It just stays so in cool. the in the water boiler. It's so freaking cool. It's loaded with calcium, magnesium, um, and yeah, and it tastes great. So for me, I mean, that's like top of mind. I'm sure I could rattle off a, a, a million. No, other but things. I think that's great because people don't invest. Like I think it sounds so dumb. But investing in water is like really a good, inv- it's not a bad investment. No, I mean, your body is, is 70 some odd yeah, percent water. Exactly. And, um, and, and again, you know, tap water has been found to be contaminated with varying concentrations of arsenic, of pharmaceutical drugs, of, of fluoride. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I drink a fair amount of water. Staying hydrated is really important. Um, I also think that exercise is valuable. Sauna is valuable. So I'm sweating regularly, you want to make sure that the water that you're replenishing your body with is, is from a good source. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the minerals that you get in water are significant. Magnesium plays an important role in energy creation. It's an important anti-aging mineral. Mm-hmm. And about 50% of people don't consume adequate magnesium. So um, the fact that I'm getting a, a small but significant amount in my water to me is just a bonus. Yeah, I agree. I take magnesium every night. That's yeah, awesome. Right. Well, thank you. It was very nice to talk to you. So nice and to talk to you. Let's I will do it again. Have everything linked in the description so everyone can find you everywhere. But um, I would say for anyone listening who's not following Max on Instagram, it's just free access to so much very helpful information. You're very sweet. I look forward to trying your olive oil. I'm Thank you. For that. Thank you. It was, I'm very lucky it was sold out. So I'm getting some back. So I will, I'll send it to you hopefully soon. Amazing. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.